Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Parenthood Podcast. As a busy mother of two who is constantly trying to hold it together, dash to school just in time, just get the homework done, just catch the plane, when I inevitably drop everything, I occasionally feel let down by life. Why did that light have to turn red just before I crossed? Why was the tube delayed so I just missed pickup? Sometimes I find myself thinking, could anything else go wrong today? And then you read a story like Emma Campbell's. And you find yourself embarrassed by those thoughts because what happened to Emma couldn't really have got any worse. It started with joy. After years of trying, she finally got pregnant, but ended up getting more than she bargained for, triplets. But within six months of her babies being born, she separated from their father and was diagnosed with breast cancer. Emma, thank you so much for joining me today. Having read your book, I'm sitting here in complete awe of you. Thank you. Forget Blooming Superwoman. (laughs) I think you're one of the most inspirational women I've met. Oh, that's lovely. It really is an amazing, amazing book. But what really strikes me that it's not a book of woe. It's not a book of woe is me. It's an empowering, uplifting story of hope, resilience, friendship, generosity. Um, And I think what struck me beyond the hardship that you endured, uh, beyond the repeated chemo, beyond the breakdown of your relationship, the struggle of looking after not just one baby, but three, was it showed me how kind people are in life. Incredibly so. I mean, I think that's what I wanted so much from writing this book was to it was almost like a thank you mm. to everybody that gathered around, held me emotionally throughout the most incredibly difficult time. And that continues now, really. I mean, I, I have attracted the most incredible good fortune in the darkest times. And I feel so in a way to sort of sound a bit corny and cliched. It was the lowest of times, but it was also there were moments of magic throughout from my cancer diagnosis onwards and the baby's being born and it continues you know I I feel incredibly lucky in so many ways despite the challenges that continue. Well Lena you also realize that you're much stronger I think when when the shit really hits the fan. I think so I mean I, people sort of say that kind of oh you, you're oh you're, you're so strong you're so brave but I, I always always say I've had no I've had no choice and you would be the same if you know we just you just have to deal with it and I might look at another tragic story on the news and you know if a or you know a, a parent who has lost a baby and which you would know and I would think how are you breathing how are you upright how have you how have you put one foot in front of the other but you somehow have and you found that strength and I think 
in my situation, I just had no choice. And my motivation was so unwaveringly um, based on wanting to be there as their mum and, and stick around and get through and make up for the fact that the beginning of, of their life had been so unstable. And then not to mention, obviously, my eldest son, Jake, who whose whole world imploded in a very short space of time. Um, but I mean, triplets. I, I remember, you know, I see women the whole time struggling with one. Yeah. And then I remember when my second came along, you know, still mm. 17 months later, thinking, oh my God, I, don't, I hardly have enough hands. Yeah. And then for you to give birth to triplets and then have to care for them on your own. Yeah. No. It, it was completely bonkers and crazy because you mean, don't even we were have living, three hands no so no. how does that work we were living in a we were living in a top floor lovely flat but a top floor small two-bedroom flat um the baby jake had one very small bedroom the triplets were in three moses baskets around the bed um the kitchen was two floors down so i would sort of go upstairs at night with a tray with kind of 18 21 bottles for all the night feeds everything i just and it would be it would take about two and a half hours to do each feed and they they were being fed every two to three hours. So you kind of do the maths. Um, it was just constant. The feeding just consumed every minute. Because of with every twins, day. you can feed them together. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't breastfeeding. I, I expressed for, for several weeks. I wasn't able to breastfeed. It was, I mean, and that's where obviously amazing friends, anyone who came to the, to the flat knew that they would have to pick up a baby. And whether it was change a nappy or wind them or pick up a bottle, everybody stepped in. But there were obviously the majority of the time I was on my own and um, I just somehow, it was a blur really. <laughs> Those times were a blur. One of the things we talked about recently actually on the podcast uh, is guilt and the sort yes. of maternal guilt that seems to permeate every, I think every mother's mm. life. You feel guilty mm. about something regardless, I think, of your circumstances. But then, you know, you obviously had the guilt in that you thought initially you were going to have one baby turned out that you were having two you found that out at 12 week scan or um we earlier? found out it was IVF yeah. um and I'd always gone I'd gone into the whole IVF process obviously knowing how the statistics are not in our favor and I thought well it'll be a miracle if, if we have one baby the six seven week scan they saw two heartbeats like oh my goodness okay twins wow okay we, we can do this had regular scans up until 20 weeks um and at the 20 week scan we found they found baby number three, Theo, hiding away. Um, and that just upped the ante unbelievably. Um, and the guilt, I think, and then because of the chain of events, because separating from their dad, becoming ill, kind of life becoming so chaotic, I did feel, and I, can, I, I felt huge guilt over the years because this kind of idyllic image I had of completing our family with one more child, Jake having this brother or sister, and it all being very neat and tidy. And manageable. Of course, and manageable, and of course that didn't happen. And the triplets are the best thing in the world, but it it took things to a whole other level. And because of our fragile, my fragile circumstances um, at that time, and with my health and with their dad, it it just became a bit of a life was a nightmare, really. Um, and very sadly, it's meant that there were very few happy memories of those early days, which really breaks my heart. Um, I don't remember many moments of joy because it really was just such heightened stress and exhaustion and trying to keep everything 
afloat trying to trying to be stable for Jake and keep life as normal as as I could. Do you have photo? I mean, did you have time to take photos? Do you know what? I've only got about two photos of the pregnancy, which again makes me really sad because now it's nearly nine years ago. And if I think of what you know, how much I'm on Instagram now and kind of constant snapping away and seven thousand pictures on my iPhone, I've got about two pictures of, my, of the pregnancy, which is such a shame. Um, and then lots and lots of pictures of them as, as tiny babies. I don't know who's who. <laughs> um, but yeah, lots of pictures. But just, I look at the photos of them, my beautiful babies, and I feel I feel sad because it was so hard. Um, and obviously that birth, I mean, a triplet pregnancy is high risk. It's yes. It's really high risk, yeah. you know, deal. And yeah. then presumably you, and doctors are very honest with you, aren't you, about... Absolutely. And, I, and that, that's what... I never forget the, the day of the 20 week scan and the room went very, very quiet. And the consultant was, well, was this IVF? Yeah, it was IVF. How many embryos? Uh, two. Silence. And, you know, me and Jake and Jake's dad, we were looking at each other going, what's going on? I think there's a third one in there. And it was just like the, the world sort of tilted on its axis. And, and I remember, but I just remember kind of Jake's euphoria. He was punching the air kind of, yeah, mommy, wow, we're going to have three babies. Whoop. Um, Buy two, get one yeah, free. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and his dad and I looking at each other kind of stunned in shock. But the consultant just being so grave, that was the word. He just looked so grave and, and somber. And he said, as I was sort of wiping the jelly off and getting, you know, getting off the couch, he said, you know, if we'd known this is this changes everything, it's very high risk. And if we'd known, we would have offered you a reduction. As in taking yeah, one of them out. And I thinking, what do you mean? You know, what do you mean? Whatever this whatever this means for us now, never in a million, million, million years would, would that be an option, you know? Um, so I, just, I remember sort of not being able to believe that he said that, but I guess that's, he has to make that point. Well, they um, have to make the emotionless decisions. Of course, or of course. Least. But I'd had, up, you know, I'd already had uh, three miscarriages before being pregnant, you know, four years of secondary infertility. Um, and I can, I bled throughout the pregnancy, which was very, very frightening. So, Again, gosh, it sounds so gloomy. I didn't enjoy the pregnancy. There was no kind of oh, rubbing my incredibly swollen belly and thinking of these, how our life was going to become so magical. It was very, very testing every single time. Anyone who's had any kind of baby loss, every time it went to the loo, you know, that, it was that kind of that terrible fear. I don't think I exhaled until they were out. And, um, and even just, then, you yeah, know, it's not like then, then you sort of yeah. have them on your chest and yeah. you're wistfully bonding with them. But I was they, very, very lucky because they all did incredibly well. There was no, you know, discrepancy in their weight. They were all about four pounds. They all came out. A little bit of help, you know, we were in hospital for another few weeks, but they did they did brilliantly. Um, very fit and strong, robust little creatures. Um, yeah. And one of the, the kind of feelings of guilt you talk about yeah. is for Jake, the fact yeah. that, you know, on the one hand, you were doing this for him because more than anything, you wanted to give him the child you love most in the world, a sibling, not necessarily three. And one of the, the sentences that actually I really love in the book, you say that you feel that you robbed Jake of his childhood, you know, Jake, who didn't ask for his cozy world of cuddles and kisses and safety and stability and routine to be turned on its head by a mum who got what she wanted and now couldn't cope. Yeah, I think I, if I'm really, really honest, um, I told myself and everybody else that, you know, this obsession that consumed me for four years absolutely dominated every waking thought to have another baby, have another baby. I told the story I told was, well, I'm doing this for Jake. He needs a sibling, you know, and 
And that's true because, of course, most of us want our children to have a sibling. And, and, and my vision of a family, everyone, I always say everyone has their vision of what their family is, whether that's one child or three or four or five. And I was one of two. My partner was one of two. We were like Jake and his brother or sister. Um, but the level of obsession and the grip it had on me, it probably wasn't, it wasn't, it was, it was my longing. And I say in the book, it was my, my womb bullying me. It's kind of how it felt. And I couldn't overcome it. It was so powerful. It was so all consuming. And of course, Jake's got riches in his life that he might not appreciate now, but he's got three siblings and that's wonderful. But he would have been okay. He would have been okay. And his life would have been calmer and more steady and stable. And I don't for a minute wish that is Mm -hmm. how it was. But I think I wasn't being entirely honest when I sort of said, oh, but I'm doing this for Jake. I'm doing this for Jake. I was doing it for me and my longing and my dream that I couldn't couldn't let go of. And do you think... I mean, interestingly, you know, we talked about this earlier, but after my son Willem died, I felt like I needed to have another child. Yeah. I needed <clears throat> to have this happy ending. Yes. Yeah. And but for me, it was going to be very tricky because there was a high chance of, of another abruption happening, which yeah. is potentially fatal for me and for the baby. And I remember having a conversation with my mother and I said, you know, what, what, I, you know, it's not that big a risk. It's quite big, but I think I should do it because I really feel I should have another child. Or maybe, you know, I could we discuss surrogacy and adoption. And my mother looked at me and she said, Marina, you have no idea how lucky you are. You Mm. have so much Mm. more than so many other people and yet you're still wanting more and you're wanting to risk all of this for what? For for something that you you already have two amazing children. And it's very difficult to tell a woman whose baby has Mm. died that she's being really quite selfish Mm. by wanting another. Mm. But I think... I really respected my mother for having that conversation with me. And I valued that conversation because it was really the right decision for me, I feel now. Do you, would you? I I feel like no one could have told me. I had many uncomfortable conversations where, you know, friends or family would say, come on, Emma, you know, this is, come on, you've got, you know, you're, you're young, you're healthy, you've got a beautiful boy. Come on, come on. You know, you're not enjoying Jake. You're not enjoying, but I, it was it, there were deaf words on deaf ears they fell mm. on deaf ears and I think what happens as well because you know with each miscarriage and I know that other women would relate to this the longing and the determination and the intensity it just it fuels it even more and then also I think because of what happened with Jake um very very dramatic start to his life I developed necrotizing fasciitis so I had an emergency c-section and within 48 hours I was sort of hovering between life and death being gobbled up by this horrendous flesh-eating bug so it's very dramatic um but because I felt that that again I felt cheated of that experience of early motherhood my beautiful baby bonding I was I was in intensive care for nearly two weeks I didn't see him I you know that I couldn't again I couldn't breastfeed that skin on skin wasn't there um so I feel that a lot of my sort of obsession was probably fueled by wanting to to do it right in inverted commas to have the happy experience and unfortunately because of I would certainly would say if the triplet experience would have been a lot more positive if, if my personal life hadn't been so fragile at that point you know we would have if we'd been a, a team and that's I'm not apportioning blame or anything if we'd been more of a unit and things hadn't been as rocky then I'm sure there would have been a lot it was just very hard because I was so consumed by other things hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. And the, and the other kind of big guilt in your story is the guilt of them being a mum with cancer. Yes. And being consumed, not just physically, but yeah. you know, mentally. Um, I love the bit where you said, I, I was convinced I'd be the best kind of bustling, busy, bonny mum mm. who loved to bake and read stories and draw pictures and play. Play? What's that? I never yeah. play. I'm too busy, too tired, too irritated, too distracted, too scared of dying to play. Yeah. And I think, again, I think I carry that feeling with me still. You know, my cancer, I had my first cancer diagnosis in 2010. I had a recurrence four years ago. I'm currently doing well on lifelong treatment, but... I am a cancer patient and, you know, you only have to sit in the chemo ward at the Marsden to, to sort of know, we all know what cancer does and can do. And as a mum, I think, again, it all, it is guilt. Um, you know, when you've wanted something so much, I, exactly what I said, I got, I got what I wanted. I got these beautiful babies. And, and to feel that after pushing and pushing and, and doing everything I could to, to become a mum again, to then face the fact that I might not be here for them that I might leave them behind that I might abandon them is it was just has been a horrendous thing for me to, to feel and um but also I feel like my cancer experience has affected my parenting because the fear at times has been so overwhelming of 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 not being here of dying prematurely um that I know that I've I think I've held back at times I think because the pain of loving them you know, when you love something so greatly and the, the fear of the worst happening, I, I worry at times that it's affected the kind of mum that I have been or I've become. I feel like I'm a, I feel like I'm a different mum to the mum I was with Jake when life was, was simpler. And I, you know, in my early 30s, feeling, that, feeling invincible as we do. Um, and second time around with Ella Louie and Theo, it's just continue. it's... Sadly, been very, very fragile. But have you ever talked to them about that? How you? I feel? think well, they were tiny when I was diagnosed first time around. So obviously, there was no, there was no need, and they wouldn't have understood. Um, second time around, um, I didn't lose my hair. I lost a lot of it, but I didn't, I, I didn't lose all of my hair. So they were only, they were four or five years old. So they knew mummy was poorly, that mummy was going to hospital. But kids are incredible, as we know. Didn't really, you know, as long as life continued and dinner was on the table and the TV was on and cuddles and kisses with Jake second time round, it was very very different because he was just started secondary school you know um 11 12 years old and he he knew you know he I remember his face kind of just the blood draining out of his face and mommy are you going to be okay and I said look I'm, I'm going to be okay I didn't <laughs> I didn't know that but I obviously that's what I said um 
Yeah, and I so obviously he's had a very different experience as a, as a brother who's six and a half years older. It's been very different to him. And did you him. pull back with him a bit too, or was it mostly? No, I think. Oh gosh, I, if if Dave, my husband, was here, he would <laughs> raise his eyebrows. I think I'm a. I've been a different mum. I think with Jake, um, the feeling of not letting him down, but you know, like I've said already, his life was his life changed very dramatically from being. In, in, you know, in the home that we were in, mum and dad living there together, very safe and stable to papa no longer being around. Three new siblings who distract, you know, who take were taking up all my time and energy. Mummy very ill, moving house, um, me at the hospital, you know, all it so, and also him seeing, witnessing quite a lot of relationship kind of, you know, not very nice scenes and things. I think I've overcompensated hugely with Jake because I felt so guilty that his life turned upside down. Um, and I say at the end of the, the book, there's the most sort of, oh, incredibly healing moment one one day a couple of years ago where one evening where I sort of ended up bursting into tears and saying, I'm sorry, Jake, I'm sorry, it's been so hard. And I'm, I'm sorry that and he's like, mum, it's fine, we're okay, you know. They're really annoying. They're annoying, Ella Louis and Theo, but they're great. I love them, and I couldn't. I, I'd hate to be an only child. And he just sort of healed me. It was like, okay, so you're okay with this. You're okay with the mess it's all been. You know, I just feel like, to to, to put it in a nutshell, I on my dark days, I I can feel like my longing, kind of created a bit of a mess. And I don't mean that my children are the mess. Ella Louis and Theo are not the mess. They're the gift. Uh, but it wasn't their fault either. You know, I just. And it wasn't my fault. I know that. And it wasn't their dad's fault. But it was just an extraordinary set of circumstances in a very condensed time that made life as we knew it kind of implode. And so it really has been a case of building a new life as a single parent, as a recovering cancer patient who's then living with a permanent fear of coming back, which it did. Um, and managing, you know, I'm I'm not the mum I thought I'd, I would be because I... But are any of us? No, but None I'm not that bustling Bonnie Enid Blyton mum because I. No one thought, is. I know. Not even Enid Blyton <laughs> was. Wasn't she like the meanest person? <laughs> no, that's true. That's very true. But I remember thinking in the years of secondary infertility, I want the chaos. I want the noise. I want the mess. And actually, I struggle with that. I struggle with the, the drawing on the wall and the and the constant. I, I struggle with it, and so. And then I feel like I have no right to... Anyway, I could, I could beat myself up all day. I'm trying to beat myself up less. But, but I, think, I think what people love about the book and what I loved about it is that I didn't have triplets, I didn't have cancer. And yet I recognise so many of the struggles that you describe so yeah. beautifully. And I think that one in particular, you know, we all had ideas of what we were going to be like mm. as parents mm. and we weren't those people. Mm. And I'm every day, I think every mother feels guilt that she snapped or that she wasn't as cool and fun. And God, the fights I've had last week with Iona because she doesn't want to wear what I want her to wear because oh. she wants to wear shorts and a t-shirt, not a dress. Yeah, and I'm, yeah. I'm looking at myself going... Marina, you're not this person know, who cares that I she know. should wear a pretty dress. Why are you even having this horrible, destructive argument? And yet I can't help myself. I know, I know. But I think that is symptomatic of all parents. Yeah. You know, and you all feel guilty. You know, if you had had just one baby and if you hadn't had cancer and if your marriage hadn't imploded, mm -hmm. you'd have still felt guilty. And yes. I almost think you'd have still felt the same levels of guilt. I think so. Uh, I mean, there was the most heartbreaking a couple of weeks ago, Louis came downstairs and um, and it hadn't been an awful, I hadn't been shouting and screaming and kind of anything. 
but I think bedtime is always pretty, you know, um, challenging as, as any mum knows. Because we're at the end of our tether. Yeah, and I is at my low point beyond seven o'clock. I'm kind of hanging on by a thread. But he came down, and I thought, and he, his lips were wobbling, his eyes filled up with tears. I was like, darling, what is it, mummy? I I just feel so sorry for you because you didn't know you were going to have three babies. And I was like, darling, darling, you know. And I obviously gave him the biggest hug, and I said, I love you know, you're the best thing ever. But it's that kind of contradiction of they are the best thing ever. I am the luckiest mother alive is how I feel. But it's really bloody hard. And I think that's the constant kind of conflict of I'm so lucky, but it's hard. I could be dead now. I'm well, I'm doing okay, but it's hard. You know, letting myself, if, saying to myself, it's okay that it's hard, but. I think, oh, I think that's I don't what, know. I, th- I don't I just, know. Like, obviously, you know no different. You know, yeah. you don't know what yeah. it's like just to have two, the 2.4 children that yeah. you kind of wanted. And yet, so much of what you talk about, I recognise. Yeah. And, you know, I just, I, I think, well, we beat ourselves up yeah. too much personally. I think yeah. we all do that. And we're all constantly pinching ourselves at how lucky we are I and know. having that dichotomy of feelings. I know, exactly, exactly. And I've just got to trust that they, this is their life experience. This is the childhood that they are experiencing and I've just got to hope and trust that they they feel my love and they it's chaotic and it's crazy and there's a lot of shouting and there's tears and but I hope they feel the love because well you know what children are honest they're not Mm. polite they're Mm. certainly not polite to their parents Mm. so the fact that Jake said you know I know he wouldn't have it any other way actually he wouldn't have it any other way saying that just to get brownie points or to make you like him like he knows you love him unconditionally Mm. so I think if you're you know they're all right yes they're okay I think you're doing you've got like a triple a star parenting (laughs) oh my goodness um in terms of sort of looking forward with your cancer um this is ongoing treatment yeah so the recurrence so having nearly hit the five-year point feeling on top of the world I was you know having my green smoothies every day I was exercising I was just started after five, six years of single life. I was tentatively doing a little bit of dating. Um, I felt brilliant. I felt like I'd done it. And, you know, I was blindsided when I found out my cancer had returned. Um, And me being me, I was so scared and fearful that I didn't ask many questions. I never do. But as a result, I kind of, I didn't realise straight away. It was a localised recurrence, but I... It was as though the world had ended, um, but it was lo- it was localized. So they get me back on chemo um, and um, lots of hormone treatment, and that treatment is is continuing. But I've done really really well. I'm in remission. Um, I've been in remission for four years. I have three weekly treatment, um, and I've just got to hope that it it remains contained. Um, it's a funny situation to be in because people sort of so are you you've got cancer and it's like well have I got cancer you know and uh, because I'm right now I'm doing really well is it is it there is it lurking is it gone forever and I think with patients like me that's the slightly tricky one now with the drugs are so incredible so effective so powerful but the the oncology team you know because you could say well why are you still on it you're doing okay you've been clear for four years they don't know if it's being suppressed or whether it's gone for good and they're not going to take that chance if I'm lucky enough to remain well and cancer with no signs of active disease for years several more years then maybe that conversation will happen but right now as far as I know my treatment is lifelong and you know but it's it's I guess life is it and it's been 
a phrase that's been used a lot, but the new, it's my normal. That is my normal. I am a cancer patient. I'm doing really well. It's in my life. It's lurking, but... Well, also, you know, you, know, you pinch yourself that you're lucky to be in London with the Marsden. Absolutely. I've got incredible care. I've, I've responded my body. I have to love my body. My body has res- responded amazingly to, to the drugs. Um, it's my mind. My mind is the, sh- is the struggle, really, I think. Which is the same for all of us. Yeah, yeah, you know. Um, I loved the sort of narrative around friendship in the book. Mm. The fact that you found yourself a single mum of four yeah. with breast cancer. And, you know, not just mild. This was quite yeah, quite severe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the story of stories of support and generosity and friendship from those you knew, but also those you didn't I knew. I know, far and wide. I mean, there was the, you know, my inner circle, you know, the, the, the school mum friends, friends, the lifelong friends who I talk about the rotor that was drawn up, you know, without me knowing coffee shops kind of, right, okay, so... And they learned very quickly on, and I think any cancer patient or person who's dealing with health struggles, you, you haven't got the energy to tell people what you want. So the magic is when friends, family, loved ones, distant strangers just take action anyway. That's that's the gift. Turning up and with the the lovely frozen meals or the, the bolognese or whatever it is or treats for the kids or turning up and just emptying the dishwasher. So rather than the, because it's so exhausting and it's exhausting telling people what you need and trying to think of what you need. So you're not going to say to to your friend, would you mind emptying the dishwasher or hanging up the washing? But when they just do it, it's the most wonderful gift. Um, And I had incredible, I mean, I'm beyond fortunate with the love and the the care and the kindness and the spontaneous acts of kindness that were shown shown to me. Um, I mean, I could have written three books listing Mm. all of the acts of kindness um and even just you know the fact that word got around your community and you said it's sort of a friend of a friend and had a maternity nurse and they were discussing and the maternity nurse said well I'm free next week I'll go I'm gonna donate she don't you know we all know maternity nurses are quite it's quite a a pricey pricey um option to take and she said I'm gonna she gave donated a week of her of her time um which we saved it it was all that all happened quite early on and we saved it for when the mastectomy happened because i knew that was that was going to be the, the lowest point in terms of physical my physical strength um yeah the little old lady in marks and spencers who came up to me and put 5 pounds in my hand and oh gosh i could go on and on you know lovely natasha kaplinski who i met through a friend who turned up at my kitchen took all my washing away made loads of bolognese and her husband came around the next morning and changed the light bulbs you know mad kind of comical funny wonderful touching and actually I got really I got really good at just saying okay you know you I stopped saying no 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 no, you can't it's like okay thank you thank you thank you you know when you're at that point you just I, I had no choice but to let it in and you know having to believe that I would do the same if if it was someone else and that you know what? I think it's a privilege to be able to help someone. Yeah. It feels yeah. people want like... to. It's so funny that you said neighbours of mine, um, my lovely neighbour, some of my lovely neighbours that I mentioned in the book, and um, Peter, um, my neighbour. I remember last, I think it was a couple of summers ago, before before Dave moved in, and he he said he knocked on my door one Sunday morning, and he said, Emma, I thought I'd mow your lawn this morning. Oh no, 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 Peter, you can't, you can't. It's fine. Gardens are a wreck. And Emma, rec- just receive. Receive, receive. And it was just, just let it in. It's and not an option. It's just, not, would you like just me? Just let it in. It's okay. And in a way, I, I try and view life like that. You know, just sort of open my arms up and, okay, the tough stuff comes in, but also the good, you know. There's so much good. And in the darkest, darkest times. And I think, going off on a tangent now, but I think, 
if, if it's taught me anything without, again, I don't want to be corny or Clinton's card-esque, but I just try and appreciate the good because there's so much magic around in amongst all the, all the tough stuff. There really is. And I don't know, you know, I obviously would like to have had a life without cancer, but the riches that have come my way, the emotional riches, the deep friendships, the love, the, it's just been incredible. It's cha- that's changed me, I think. And I the think love, yeah. as in yeah. the actual love. Yes, Mr. Yeah. Dave the Carpet, <laughs> I know, in the magical way that happened. I mean, yeah yeah that so, is a story that's yeah, a story it's a story I'll, I'll leave the story for the book but it is it's almost like a fairy tale it is a bit it's of a, a sort fairy of tale. modern day fairy tale yeah. it's way better than snow white yes 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 way yes. better <laughs> it really it really is a, it's a story um so practical things only because people do listen to this podcast i know um, and i think you know what certainly what i take from our conversation is you know what you can do for people yes. for whom you know it is pretty terrible and sort of not asking is is obviously one and, and thinking practically what do you not have the energy to do like the light bulbs is something i can't stand doing yeah um yeah. and i never have the light right light bulbs anyway so yes. god if someone came in and just changed the light that would be one of those things that i'd be sort yeah. of so immeasurably grateful yeah. for yeah what did you was there anything that you wish you'd known when you were diagnosed because obviously that shock you probably can't remember I that wish much I'd known it. I mean I think uh, you know it it because I wasn't just dealing with cancer you know I wasn't life was already kind of fairly rock bottom you know splitting up with their dad living in a totally inappropriate flat up a million stairs um I so I was kind of cancer was just one other thing that was going on and in a way if I'm honest What's interesting is that you get, you have the horrendous shock of the diagnosis, but then you step onto that conveyor belt of treatment, and your di- that's your diary's full with appointments, with treatment, with recovery. You know, you get to know the routine, and actually, it sort of slotted into my life. Um, but I wish I, I wish I'd known. I probably didn't see. I didn't have the time to connect with other women. Whereas now, there are amazing women in my life who are living with cancer, and through social media, through through other things I've those women are a huge comfort to me seeing how they go about their daily lives and the courage that they show but eight nine years ago even if Instagram had been around I don't know if I would have had the time to to sort of focus on it but it's been a huge comfort I did feel very isolated because I I didn't want to sit in a support group in a dusty church hall and I was too scared to kind of hear other women's stories because I I didn't want to hear the gloomy ones Um, and I wish I'd known that there are so many of us, so many men, women living with cancer, facing it, coming through or living with ongoing treatment, but finding a way to still find joy and to still be be mum, to still. It's not the end. It's not necessarily the end. You know, um, I wish I hadn't been so crippled with fear, but then that's me. You know, I don't know. Do you think if you'd I mean that. I see now on social media, there are so many amazing blogs, and yeah, Instagram accounts yeah. of women like you who yeah. Uh, you know and and I've interviewed a few of them on this podcast who just see the light and say actually it was awful but I've grown as a person and I feel that I'm kinder and wiser and my life's been richer as a result I know my life is so much bigger today than it than it was 10-15 years ago without a doubt I know that I've got I've had experiences I've got deep connections with people that weren't there um I know myself, I'm more confident in myself now at the age I am than I ever was in my 20s or or early 30s. It shaped me, it's molded me, it's stripped me back. You know, you are raw and you are vulnerable and you are, you're stripped back. That's how I, 
you're exposed, you're all of those vulnerable things, but I've realised how wonderful vulnerability is. Vulnerability Mm. is such beauty can come from that. Mm. And I just feel so strongly about, about speaking my truth, about living my, finding the joy. You know, I need to, you know, I struggle on a daily basis with feeling fearful and anxious and I've only got to have a sore throat and I can go to a very dark place. But I'm trying so hard each day to minimise those thoughts and to expand on the other ones because otherwise it's a tragic, tragic waste. And I've got this chance now. I am, this minute right now, I'm okay. We don't know about anything else, but right now I'm okay. And if I don't find the joy in today, then it really is a bit of a tragedy, isn't it? But that's the circle, isn't it? You talked about the guilt you felt that cancer robbed you of being a mother, but you know, yes, it may have taken you away for a bit, but it's returned you a stronger, more resilient, better. I hope so. I mean, when I'm feeling good and when I'm feeling well and when I'm feeling like cancer isn't, is is quite minimized, then I feel that that's all true. The tricky points and where it lets me, where I let myself down as a mum is if there are hospital appointments looming, if I'm waiting for results, if I'm feeling run down and if I'm worrying about something physically, feeling a lump or a bump, I feel so crippled with the fear that I then withdraw from the kids like I probably said said this already and I am so distracted and so in my own head that they are an intrusion and I feel that's when the irritability and the kind of lack of tolerance and not being present I'm not present and that's something that's an ongoing thing for me um trying to be present with them despite the chatter in my head of what if what if what if you know but you've recognised that. Yeah. And that's the first step. Yeah, 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 yeah. In terms of sort of um, cancer, what message do we need to send out? I mean, obviously, women in their forties, fifties are at biggest risk of cancer. Yeah. I mean, we all know we need to check our breasts. But what 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 do we need to be? I doing? I mean, I I think what shocks me still every you know when I'm when I'm at the hospital every few weeks is how many young women. If we're talking about breast, obviously men, women, we're talking about breast cancer in particular. How many young women I see, um, and we know that that diagnosis is happening happening earlier and earlier, um, which is a good thing. Which is yeah, but as in oh, earlier, there is yeah, yes. as in there are more they're just younger, see, yeah, younger. Um, I think again, I'm not a great example of someone who has acted on concerns. I've buried my head in the sand. You know, I felt physical changes in my in my breast after the triplets were born, after expressing, after the IVF, and I kept brushing them aside and um I did that again the second time around when a rash appeared on my chest I was so scared of being told bad news that I just so I am not a good example of someone who brings up the doctor at the first sign of anything but that's obviously what needs to happen and I know it now but I I still struggle with that because the fear can feel so great so someone might say Oh, but you're worried about that. You know, I've had a few headaches recently, which now thankfully have, have, have stopped. But there was a point a couple of weeks ago where, oh God, I don't get, why am I having all these headaches? And, you know, friends would say, well, just pop along to the hospital. And I'd want to scream, don't you know how frightening that is? Just popping along to the hospital when you've, you're living with cancer is so terrifying because you know that, you know, you know what, what could happen. But obviously we need to, we need to be vigilant. We need to know what, what's right for our bodies what for our breasts we need to act, we need to feel the fear and do it anyway mm. and make that call and and get checked out um and you don't want to be hyper worried about no every that's single the headache. thing as well exactly. it's like it's that hyper vigilance that inevitably happens when you've when you've faced death on several occasions um and 
it's balancing it all, isn't it? It's keeping some perspective. And as my GP said to me a couple of weeks ago, you know, what did she say? Something like common things are common, but like most headaches aren't a brain tumor, you know, but in my world, in anyone who's, who has faced cancer and, and, and that has heard the worst, you do tend to think like that, you know. So just being aware and being checking aware our breasts. And being and checking our breasts and being brave and Because our no, breasts change when we have babies anyway. Absolutely, and when we're absolutely. expressing yeah. and feeding and yeah. all of that. Yeah. I remember thinking, no, these are definitely sort of milk lumps. Yeah. And they were, luckily. Yeah. But I kind of think you're either at home and you're worrying and you're not relaxed exactly so you might if that's happening you need to just go and get checked I know, out I know and that's that's something it's a work in progress for me but absolutely I would say to to you to anyone else what are you doing you know it's just practicing what mm. we, we preach isn't it mm. I'm being aware Emma thank you so much for joining me today um Emma's book is amazing it's called all that followed a story of cancer kids and the fear of leaving too soon it's available on Amazon and from all good bookshops it is a brilliant read thank it's you. uplifting and thank funny you. and honest and I think regardless of whether or not you have cancer or triplets or a single mum you will find so much that sort of resonates so I'd highly recommend it thank you um you can also follow Emma on Instagram she's at m plus four as in the digit four and you can read her blog at me and Thanks so much for coming Thank along Thank you today. for having it's me. so great to chat, to chat to you. Thanks for downloading another episode of The Parenthood. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review us. It makes it easier for people to find us. And if you've enjoyed this, please do spread the word. But in the meantime, from Emma and me, thanks for listening and goodbye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.